The Ascent of Board Games is a podcast in which we discuss the history and evolution of board game mechanics, concepts, and themes from the dawn of history to today's newest releases. We talk, we laugh, we pick on each other, and we occasionally get things wrong. But we hope to provide both entertainment and education to today's discerning podcast listener, you. Welcome, everybody, to episode 11 of The Ascent of Board Games. I'm one of your many hosts. In this case, I'm Brian. I'm what's left of Jason. <laughs> there was a Cinco de Mayo party. Jason's not quite at his best this morning. No. I think there still is a Cinco de yeah. Mayo party. Yeah. No, yeah, Jason's escaped from it, at least on. for now. Okay, yeah, you woke up to karaoke this morning. and Yeah. Uh, I'm Mike. I'm Frank. And I'm Joe. And none of the rest of us are hungover as far as nope, I know. Nope, not, not even a little so, bit. So, so lucky. <laughs> it's all right. You're hung enough over for all of us. Yeah, there we go. I Excellent. took on that burden for all of us. Excellent. You're, you're a good man. <laughs> this time around, we are going to be talking about 4X Games, uh, which is one that's been very popular on our poll, which if you haven't filled out, you should go do. So 4X Games are so named because they are a game in which you do four things, each of which starts with the letter E. Explore, expand, exploit, and exterminate. It was originally coined in 1993 by a guy named Alan Emrich when he was talking about Master of Orion, the computer game. And it's been more of a thing in the computer gaming world. That's really kind of where it originated. But there are a lot of games in that mold as well. It seemed pretty straightforward when we were starting to go through this list. But as we looked at it, it was sort of like, well... Are you really exterminating yeah, you don't these explore games? explore in that one. Yeah, oh, exactly. Oh, there's explore. a fixed map. So we've sort of adjusted the definition a little bit. But basically. not a ton, though. Basically, what we kind of decided on, explore means either there is some kind of fog of war thing where you don't know what the map looks like at the start of the game, or else there's some random stuff on the map. So you'll go to a, a certain location and there's a token that you will draw or a card you will draw that does some unknown thing. And that's the big one because so many games just get taken out by that one. The so. old civilization, which seems like an obvious choice. So shocking. Yeah, exactly. But we're probably going to have another kind of civ building, empire building Conquest episode games, of some, yeah. at some point going forward. We'll get to that one because that's a classic. Expand, pretty obvious. You're building more stuff, you know, building more units, cities, bases, whatever they are to give you territory. Controlling more territory. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exploit is pretty straightforward. You're, just, you're finding resources of some kind as you expand and you're making use of those. And then exterminate, in the original sense, like I say, it was, it was originally intended for single-player computer games, so it was wiping other forces out. Since player elimination is no longer cool uh, and was never really a whole lot of fun, basically, as long as there's significant combat between parties, we're, we're kind of okay with that in extermination. As long as tokens are removed of your opponents through actions you take. Right, if you're, if you're actually wiping stuff off the board at some point. Or taking stuff from people. That might actually be one of the biggest ways that these games evolve i believe in some of the earlier games like you could just be out and you're now done playing yeah oh, well yeah. i mean in the 70s and 80s there were a lot of american style games in which if you lose you can go off and read a book for a while while the rest of the people finish the game because you deserve to fail pray right. for death do better there could be things far worse yes. you could be sitting with one unit on the map and nobody killing you <laughs> yes yes that is that is totally I, a I thing and yeah that's why experience. people hate risk is because 
that happen to everyone. And in a six-player game of Risk, player six is dead within two turns. The good news is player five will be out before too long, and then they can go play a two-player game or something. (laughs) Screw you guys. And the one thing that isn't in the 4X is not as a hard and fast rule, but one thing that we expect to see in most of these is some kind of tech tree where you're developing new technologies, new tools, new ways to abuse the rules and make use of your resources. There's a couple on our list that don't really have that, but most of them do. When you look at the history of these, I mean, I think it started with Risk, really. Of course, Risk doesn't have any concept of Explore, but it really has the other three. Uh, you gain units for how many territories you've conquered, as well as the you know bonuses Regional for bonus, Australia, yeah. because everyone conquered Australia first. And then, of course, you got to exterminate the proper <laughs> formal definition of... Good, good old-fashioned wiping people out of the game. And expands, obviously, the entire concept of the game. But the first to really have all four is definitely a computer game from 1972 called Empires. This was run on a single Unix box, a PDP-10, I think. You actually got kind of the whole multiplayer Civ thing going. You started with a tiny little dot, and you gradually had to send out your scouts and exploration units to see what the map was, harvest resources, build roads and everything. And gradually you start encountering the other people who were doing that. It was sort of a turn base where every few hours you got points and you could spend points on doing stuff. It's a surprisingly complex game for 1972. Yeah, also in the 80s, I know there were a lot of play-by-mail games that had a lot of the same kind of thing where you would start with Empire and there were other players out there on the map somewhere and you would send in your $2 and your orders every turn and come back and get stuff. And the game would take a year and a half. I was saying, considering how much trouble I had recently with packages getting lost, I can't imagine how frustrating that experience must have been. Come on, Mike, it's been six months. Take your turn. <laughs> oh, yeah, I play by that. real mail. Yeah, mail. exactly. Oh, I know, I know. It's it, even less consistent. That's uh, those are the days. <laughs> you know, your turns are due June fifteenth. If your turn's not in, <laughs> your dudes don't do nothing. Oh, that's great. But in the board game world, the first one we found was also back in the mid-70s before 4X was even a term. So our first glorious game is Stellar Conquest from 1975, designed by Howard Thompson and published by the immortal Metagaming. Uh, Metagaming did all those tiny little ogre GEV melee wizard, all those lovely games. This one really had the whole risk thing. You built ships, you had planets and everything. It had a deck of cards where basically when you first explored a planet, you turned up a card to see what it produced, what defenders were on it, and basically details about the planet that you filled in on your sheet because the cards were too big to go on the board, which was just tiny hexes and just kept going from there. So you had to refer to the sheet to go, what was that planet again? Back in the day where there was a lot of note taking. But yeah, otherwise it was, you know, risk. You had a couple different kinds of ships. It had a very tiny tech tree, maybe four or five different techs you could buy. And that was about it. And I'm pretty sure it had player elimination. It's from a time when that was more or less expected. Yeah. Once you took their home world, they were gone. The other thing of note here is that it starts the long tradition of a lot of 4X games being based in space. It's the final frontier. I mean, it, it is the Star Trek... Let's go see what's out there. And kill it. And murder it dead. <laughs> yeah, it's so the whole it's explore the thing. I mean, you really, considering at the time, 60s, 70s, space would be the place that was unexplored because we knew all about the planet, except we don't really. We thought we did. So yeah, that ended up being the final frontier, as you point out. So that was our patient zero for the, the board game 4X. The next one that we got to was actually over 20 years later. There were certainly some more space exploration games. 
Also, Avalon Hill Civilization was in there in that time period, but again, it doesn't really meet the Explorer criteria, so that one's not part of this series. The next true 4X that we've got on our list is the 800-pound gorilla. This was when the first edition of Twilight Imperium came out. In 1997, Christian Peterson, was it still Fantasy Flight back then? It was still Fantasy Flight. It was one of their first games, actually. Okay. Many of you have probably seen this. It's the sort of thing that if you go to a board game convention, there's almost always at least one group of people clustered around a table for an entire day battling over the state of the universe. Multiple different races, a fairly involved tech tree going on. You're moving up the political and technical progress chart to become the emperor of the universe, you know, or just killing everybody. That works too. The races in that game were really different. They had a huge effect on on your starting position, what your starting techs were, right, on what you could plan to do for the first handful of turns. So the first and second editions actually hold really close to the standard 4X from the 70s and 80s. This is why we're skipping. I mean, there's a whole bunch, but they didn't really do a lot with it. It was really the first game I can think of with a modular board. So you did turn over hexes and explore. Pretty typical, you had turtling as a really huge problem in that game. By the way, a lot of these games have a turtling thing if someone wants to go there and explain it. You carve out a small section of space, you build up your defenses to totally ludicrous levels, and basically dare anybody to come try and attack you. And if player elimination is the only way to get somebody out of the game, it guarantees a long, painful slog. And wait for the other people to attack everyone and just clean up. Yeah, their once they totally. once they weaken each other sufficiently, then you can come out of your shell and hopefully clean up what's left. But yeah, the early versions, the first two editions, really kind of promoted that turtling model. The third edition is the one that I first really became aware of. Yeah. I think that was the first big, fancy, pretty plastic pieces yeah. edition. Uh, second edition got a miniatures expansion, but yeah. It's surprising because for as often as I see this game getting played at convention, I've never actually played it. It is, and this is something that we're going to see in an awful lot of these. I mean, when you're trying to simulate the scope of something this big, they tend to be very long, complicated. There are a lot of detailed rules interactions. And one of the things that is a problem with with TI and with some other games in the series is like, there may come a point in the first hour or two of the game when it's like, okay, I have lost now. I am so far behind that I'm not going to be able to catch up, but I need to spend another six hours yeah. letting this game finish out. Yeah, it puts you in an awkward position if you're that player because like, you recognize it. And you're like, well, I don't want to just quit because that's that's unfair to the rest of the players, but I'm also, I'm also guaranteeing I'm not going to have fun for the next X many hours. <laughs> I would rather not just sit here and suffer. But at the same time. Or you might get the players just like, okay, I know I'm not going to win. Now I'm going to be Kingmaker and just wreck somebody else's sure. games. Sure. I mean, that's, a, that's a really common strategy in this game, yeah. actually. It's yep. like, hey, I'm going to lose, so I'm going to make someone else lose with me. <laughs> you have taken me out of this game, but I'm going to make sure you don't win either. Yep. But yeah, Jason's comment, we called that a parade because uh, in the old Civ game, you had that score track at the bottom for victory points, and you just... It pretty much stayed the same way throughout the entire game. <laughs> Advanced broke that up quite a bit. A couple really interesting things happened with TI3. They brought in the Puerto Rico role selection. Oh, mm-hmm. nice. They brought in themed victory points where you got these secret cards and missions, which you could do, which we'll talk about a little later as well. Like you say, I think the first two editions were pretty by the books. Totally, you know, 4X, yeah. But three really kind of broke out of that mold a little bit and did some interesting things. Four is pretty new. I haven't really seen or played it. But, Nor I. Um, 
we're not as much 4X players. And I do play a lot of these games, but the ones I like are usually missing Explorer. I'm a failure. The true 4X, I mean, again, we said this at the top of the episode, we went through a lot of these games that, I mean, I would have put money were 4X games, and then we had to eliminate them because they were not true 4X games, which I can see in the design of these games how eliminating one of the aspects of a 4X game in service of playability Mm -hmm. is great. Because like you're saying, Brian, Twilight Imperium is a day killer of a game. It's at least four or five hours. But it's also a real brain burner of a game. There's so many moving parts going on to it. I mean, I really will say that if somebody asked me what a 4X game, Twilight Imperium is probably still at the top of that list. Yeah, it's It's sort of the archetype. Yeah, Yeah, in a lot of ways. At least in my gaming groups, it's hard to get 4X style games to the table simply because they take so long. And, you know, just getting people together to play games in general is difficult enough without, hey guys, how do you feel about playing a six-hour game? No problem, right? (laughs) Clear your calendars. Again, it's not a 4X game, but I have a group of friends here that do a game of advanced civilization once a year. (laughs) We find a day in spring yep. and we get a bunch of people together and play it and it's and it's fun but that's about as often as you're going to get a game like that played yeah interestingly though the next one on our list is more or less the opposite of all that it is fast playing it's i think about as stripped down as a 4x game could be but we kind of went through it and it really does sort of check all the boxes and that would be um, nexus ops which was released in 2005 from avalon hill designed by charlie contino and stephen kimball and you're right like there is no fluff here this is i think as simple and yet complex as a 4x game should be in my opinion yeah i mean it, it doesn't have a tech tree but other than that it's got a waft of a tech tree because of the each the of the units, units are very yeah. different. But uh, yeah, no, but not really. Anyone you have can, access anyone to all can of them from the those, beginning. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, Nexus Ops is basically uh, you've got a hex board with a bunch of different types of terrain, and you've got a bunch of human and alien troopers that all spawn in your corner of the board, and you just basically send them out to try and grab people and grab terrain. I don't understand why those humans are even in this game. Because they cost one point, so if you got some spare points, put out some humans. Playing this game, I love the bug motif, and then there's some humans, <laughs> and I, I immediately go to Starship Troopers, I'm like... Why are the humans and the bugs on the same side? I don't understand. <laughs> the humans are enslaved by the bugs, you see. Ah, <laughs> fair enough. Now fair enough. Well, actually, that does make sense because the humans are the only ones that can actually mine resources, That's which right. we totally did wrong in our demo yep. game. But yeah, the map is known at the start of the game, but there are little tokens upside down on each tile. And when you take control of it, you flip it over and it might be a mine for more resources. It might be free units. And then basically you expand out and build some stuff and send a bunch of dudes smashing into each other and roll some dice. It's a bizarre sort of Ameritrash 4X stripped down to just the frame and a big old engine. But there's a lot of clever things that are really subtle in the game to prevent turtling and make it a much more aggressive game. The uh, themed victory cards are pretty much the only way you get victory points. You get victory points for attacking people and winning and your themed cards, which you're getting secret. I really liked the card system in this game. Just the like, hey, at the end of every round, you're going to get another card that will give you some goal that may or may not match what you are currently doing. But like, you never lose that card. So who cares? 
yeah, just go for the objectives. And the objectives keep you focused on, you know, doing stuff and it makes you mix up your tactics and makes you fairly aggressive. Turtling is not a way to win that game. Oh yeah, it's a constant just press forward of like yeah, <laughs> of like Soviet troops just moving forward and getting run through the mill and destroyed and you're I don't care, bring more reinforcements, yeah, just exactly. keep going. But also the bulk of your income is back at the start on your three home tiles. You still get seven a turn. You might get two or three more from stuff outside, maybe four or something, which means that even if you take a hit at the outside, it's not going to worry you much because you're respawning at the rear constantly. Plus, first edition had these amazing Dayglow plastic figures. Oh, they're so great. uh, Unique. Yeah, Fantasy Flight republished it, like in 2015 or something. Giant Frog. <laughs> the yeah. lava leapers. Lava leapers. The best. By far I the feel best. like that game would suffer without those. The thing is, like the, the the figurines for the newer version, like they're close, but they're not quite there. Like they tried to make them less. I don't know. I, I find the original ones kind of cutesy, personally, especially <laughs> oh, like yeah, the lava totally. leapers. But then the other ones are like, oh, these are these are serious monster things. I'm like fuck that. This is dumb. And they weren't glow in the dark colored plastic either. They're like just kind of standard plastic colors it's gummy monsters it's all about the <laughs> yes, gummy monster yeah i don't think that game benefits from a serious mindset no i don't think no no, can. no i don't see there being like a national nexus ops championship <laughs> so if we want to talk about a more serious game one game we could talk about would be age of empires 3 released by tropical games designed by glenn drover and released in 2007 For most people, the way you will have access to play it nowadays would be Empire's Age of Discovery, which is a re-release without the branding for Age of Empires 3, the video game. That's right. It's a video game branded board game that you can get access to, right? So if you go out to purchase it now, right, you'll be going to get Empire Age of Discovery. Yep. And I really like Empire Age of Discovery. It does a lot of really clever things. It has a combination of kind of worker placement and all of the kind of classical 4X things, right? You are uh, one of the countries uh, trying to colonize the new world. The new world has resources which get you income. They have natives there that you have to kind of fight off. And then after you clear off all the natives, someone wants to try to control the area. And then you get to fight with the other players to control the area. But the areas aren't built up enough until there are a couple of colonists that have been put out there to even be worth points. So like initially, you have to kind of start paying into the areas before they start actually returning you points. It's sort of a non-standard 4X. I mean, the exploration, some of it is on the board. In the later stages, you're sort of exploring things that are functionally just draws from a deck of cards. I have a card that says you're exploiting India, you're exploiting Japan, but it doesn't look like a traditional 4X game. I mean, you're not starting in a small area and expanding out from it. You've just got colonies here, there, and everywhere. But it does kind of fit all the main criteria. And yeah, you do move occasionally between colonies because you can take a military force over yeah you can have some fights but it's kind of abstracted it's decidedly more euro-y than most of the ones that we've talked about so far i would say this is hands down the most euro-y type Um, game that we've talked about well so far so far yeah. so far there are more to come i think that this game is a beautiful blending of the 4x feel with worker placement Because, like, the mechanics of this game are driven by worker placement. Each player has five 
units that they can place into a number of actions that will be resolved at the end of the turn. And it feels like a worker placement game when you play it. Right. And that phase is really clever, right? Because like everyone gets five colonists to start with. And then over the course of turns, you can get things that will give you additional figures to also place during that phase. And then you just round robin around the table, placing on a bunch of these board sections, right? So like, cool, I want to go first next round. Well, that takes a placement of your token. So like any worker placement game, right? You're now eliminating a bunch of options, but like it makes all the options feel really important, right? Like, oh man, hey, I want to win the ship this round. The ship helps you kind of get income going forward. Or, oh man, I really want to get another soldier this round because I'm going to go beat up Jason next round. I'm really excited (laughs) about it. All the choices during that initial phase of placing all of your your people feels really momentous. And like, there's also competition for those spaces and everything. Yeah, that's one of the things I really like about it is that there's a couple where it's like, okay, well, I'm putting a dude on a space in this box, so I'm going to get to do that thing. Then there's a couple where there's only one space. So if you're not the first one that goes and gets that particular space, you're out of luck. And then there are some that is whoever has the most at the end. And those can get really cutthroat. So it's a nice blend of different ways to use those workers. It's a really nicely produced game. A lot of really good figures, high quality components. The reprint is gorgeous. Yeah, it's really nice. Gorgeous. Yeah, mm-hmm. Age of Discovery was definitely fans of the Age of Empire game who are just like, we're going to kick the details of this game up to 11. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. we're just going to make it Gameplay is out. almost identical. I can't think of any changes. I think it is identical. Like, they included an optional expansion True, from the original game. specialist type. But, like, that kind of that's not super far from the base game at all. Yeah, honesty, exactly. So. And just to kind of add on to what Mike was saying about the worker placement, it helps correct part of the problem I've run into with other 4X games where where your position is in terms of, hey, my empire's over here, Brian's empire's over there, Joe's empire's over there. I functionally can't do anything to them until I've marched my empire all the way over there. Mm-hmm. This one, you're, you're placing troops into locations based off of where you put your workers on that action selection chart or listing. Mm-hmm which really helps with that. It keeps player interaction high. We already discussed turtling being a problem in 4X games. Yeah, turtling isn't really a thing in this yeah, game. Because you, you don't really have a territory yep. like you would in other 4X games. It's it's not a viable. You can like overspend into an area, right? Like you, you just have to be the winner to score the area. So it's very easy to overspend in an area to guarantee you get the points and then potentially lose out on some other points. And I do appreciate any game where... One of the buildings you can build is conquer the Aztec Empire. (laughs) Yeah, basically, I'm just spending some money to conquer the Aztecs. Here you go. Yeah, those buildings are essentially the tech tree of this game as well. Like, you know, you get the early buildings, which are like, hey, at the beginning of the round, you get an additional worker of this type. But there's only one of that building. So if Brian gets the one that produces a priest and Joe gets the one that gets a soldier and I get the one that gets a colonist, we have immediately deviated in our strategies for the game. Which... Yeah, that sort of sets your direction mm-hmm. or can. So one of the cool things with the new expansion, so it has the builders, right? And so when you place a builder on a colony, it improves the value of the colony during scoring when there are builders on the square. And unlike other figures, you can't remove builders because they've built the thing. They've settled now. in. <laughs> so like, oh, yeah. like with the other colonists, you can pull them back when you want. With builders, you can't pull them back because you have permanently improved the value of that square by sending your builders over, which I think is fascinating. I think <laughs> playing with the builder rules looks crazy. It's also one thing they kind of do because you are conquering indigenous populations, which politics aside is a standard trope in this kind of thing. Every time you go to a new terrain, you sort of turn over a card. And maybe the natives are pretty much pushovers and, you know, you do that. And maybe it's like, holy crap, all of these guys are determined to kill us all. 
and you sort of have to commit your soldiers in blindly and hope you have enough to conquer however restive the natives seem to be. I especially love that when, when you win, if you threw soldiers in there, you get to plunder even more <laughs> than, than you would if you just conquered it through other means. History is not pretty, but... No, it's not. Really, what you got to do is you've got to play a game of Age of Empires while at the exact same time playing a game of Spirit Island. <laughs> that way the two balance each other. There out. you go. So a game that is actually extremely similar in some ways to Age of Empires 3 is Dominant Species. The game was released in 2010 by GMT Games and designed by Chad Jensen. And while this game has a lot of things in common with Empire's Age of Discovery, it is a strictly worse game. Screw that game. <laughs> it has a very similar worker placement strategy, and it's worth mentioning that this game barely made it on the list because almost all the combat is really like token elimination based on what you hunt. So it's not as intentional as Empire's Age of Discovery. Oh no, it's intentional. There's no <laughs> role though. Like There's you, no role you in choose to do either. combat and then you just perform cube some, removal. Some things die. Right. That totally counts. Yeah, yeah that totally does. counts. Totally counts. Totally counts. But the problem with this game is that unlike Empire's Age of Discovery, you don't determine if you have control over spaces. You determine if you have control over corners, which means you need to calculate for every adjacent grid to that corner. It's a hex board, right? So there are three adjacent grids to every corner. And so every time anyone does anything, you get to recalculate a handful of different points on the board to determine, okay, who's in control of these points now? Because at the end of the round, you score all of these points. So the game, while very similar in mechanism, because the scoring system is so much denser, it makes the game have a lot more overhead from a turn-to-turn -turn standpoint. Sounds like something that would benefit from a computer version, let's say. The computer version would help a lot because that's that's my biggest problem with the game is like every time something changes, you have to come in and calculate a bunch more stuff and it just drags the game to a halt. Yeah, I could see with certain players that just making it a miserable experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Like playing this with certain people makes it awful. This is the kind of game you can't play with certain people. And I don't like games like that where it's like, oh, this game is formatted in such a way that I just can't play this with my friend X because they will be slow about something or they'll freak out because it's sometimes it's hard to tell what some of the ripple effects you're going to have when you take an action are. And so now, oh, well, if I don't want to lose, I need to now kind of look at the board really intently and figure out, okay, what are the ripple effects of me moving two cubes from this area to this area? Sure, I see the obvious effect that I'm going to get some more points in this other area, but I don't see the less obvious effect. Joe is going to get control of this area. That means Ryan's going to get control of this area and blah, 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 blah. So I don't like this game because I can't play it with my friend Joe. Now, I will say... I personally really like the theming of this game because it does a pretty accurate representation of organisms within an environment dominating and vying for territory. And like it, I think it has come very close, really closer than a lot of other games in portraying an ecology system. Although it does check off one box. It lets Joe go on a long, angry rank <laughs> about a game he doesn't like. We have like. to have one game in every episode that lets Joe do that. Yeah. That's yeah. required. So on to games we actually like. I like Dominant Species. Okay, on to games you can be that wrong. all That's of fine. us like. <laughs> Would be Rune Wars, uh, released in 2010, published by Fantasy Flight, designed by Corey Konieska. This is um, an awesome game, a classic 4X fantasy. This was a game that found its uh, kind of origins in the game Battle Mist. Mostly, Battle Mist combined the idea of 
we've got warring armies with the idea of heroes wandering around just doing stuff having adventures you know doing that kind of hero stuff it has some origins in battle mist they're heroes going around and basically adventuring while all these armies are fighting rune wars adds a whole new card thing that's really unique yeah this is back when fantasy flight was at the peak of their a deck of cards for everything stage (laughs) which i guess they're kind of still in what did they leave that phase (laughs) there's all the combat cards and all the exploration cards and all the spell cards and all the item cards and all the but actually the the entire game's driven off cards you have to plan for your entire year kind of up front Mm -hmm. when you're playing any card because cards are more powerful depending on what season, what card they're played after. Mm -hmm. So you've got a whole progression of how to order your entire year of planning. And those themed cards are key to the game. I think this was one of the first true 4X games that I played. And like much like with Twilight Imperium, if somebody asked me what is a 4X game, I just kind of point at Rune Wars Mm -hmm. and let that be the example. Because this game has four unique starting civilizations that are all very different from each other. Totally. The map is randomized at creation, I believe. The the players actually create the map. There are groups of hexes that you lay out. So you can, to some extent, say, well, I need some more iron, so I'm going to put this one here. Actually, I think you build the map, and then people pick their starting location. So in theory, it's relatively balanced. So the explorer's a little weird in this one, because you do get cards or tokens. Yeah, exploration tokens. And you beam down neutral enemies that you Mm -hmm. have to conquer to take over and actually get the good stuff. But also you've got heroes that are wandering around hitting dungeons, having to do skill rolls to get you stuff. And the way it gets around the whole turtling aspect is the fact that you're looking for rune stones. Dragon runes. Dragon stones, dragon rune stones. Rune Dragon runes. It's dragon runes. And those are out there. You can't just sit back and wait and roll over people. It's yeah, I mean, there's, there's probably one push. near where you are, but some of them are in dungeons and some of them are in hexes you have to conquer. Yeah, and if you sit there and turtle up, you'll just not be the winner functionally. It fixes that Twilight Imperium problem where there is now a path to victory that does not rely on destroying your opponents. Yeah. It's neat because there's also some sort of political elements to it. There are places where you will spend your influence to vote for certain rules going back and forth people gain titles and that kind of thing it's actually kind of like someone wanted to do a fantasy version of twilight imperium without really knowing the rules they came with a completely different rule set that does a lot of the same stuff yeah it's like a parallel evolution in a lot of ways right because like it feels Mm -hmm. like it takes some lessons but it does a lot of things really different yeah there's also the way you get resources you've got like three big dials Mm -hmm. and every time you get access to a resource you just bump up the dial and you just get all the stuff on your dials and the thing is you only reset those dials during certain phases of the game so like you can like take over a location and then lose it but still get their resources for it for a a turn or so until you get to the point where you have to recalculate your dials and they're like oh crap i lost that wood that means i lost wood now i need to figure something else out And those are threshold meters, right? Like as long as you meet the threshold on your dials, you can create this unit or this unit or this unit. You actually get all the stuff at that threshold and down. You just get it. There's no 
conscious yeah. choice. Yeah. You recruit three elven warriors and two dragons. Just stick them in. Yeah. Just stick them in. So there's no, I mean, that trims down that choice, which was always one of the agonizing long, okay, what do I buy now? And speeds up that part and gets you to the core of the game. Right, but it still handles randomness, right? Because some of the stuff will be like, cool, you get one of the influence cards or you get one of the combat yeah, totally. cards, right? It's like there's still some randomness in there, but like from a recruiting standpoint, like, hey, if you have your metal dialed to three, you get these things. Then you just, you don't have to think about it. You just collect the things you get. And then your thought is, okay, cool. Where do I put these on the board? Yeah. It's not like, what do I recruit? Right. So it removes that consideration from the game, which is nice. Still a long game. It's not as long as like a Twilight Imperium, but it's still a commitment to get people together to play it. I would love to play it more often. It's also really nice because it makes a really cool impression on the board. It does something with the board that most games don't, probably because it's a little fiddly, but it looks impressive. There's actually little plastic mountains on the hexes on the board that sort of stick up so you can, at a glance, see, oh, well, I can't go from there to there unless I can fly because there's mountains in the way. We should play that again in all of our square no, gaming I, I, time. I like, I like rumors a lot. Speaking of Fantasy Flight, in the same year, 2010, they released Kevin Wilson's game, Sid Meier's Civilization. 2000, those came out in the same year? That can't be right. We played Rune Wars. Like, that was one of, I think, the first games I played with Joe. And, like, Civ came out way after that. Because that's... Right? No. Turns right? out, no. No, same year. Yeah. I like that That's it's Kevin Wilson's Sid Meier Civilization. That is yeah. mind-blowing. Well, this one's really interesting because, you know, one of the games we didn't talk about because it's not a true 4X is the old Avalon Hill Civilization game, which is one of the first big sprawling empire builders, which a lot of people think was an inspiration for Sid Meier's Civilization, the computer game. Which it was, but well, one of. Sure, yeah. which is a long-running series that is still very popular today. Sid Meier's Civilization Six is something that I spend far too much time on my computer playing. And then they sort of took it back to a board game with the Sid Meier's Civilization game. More than one, as it turns out. A surprisingly effective, I think, way of taking the enormous sprawling surge of history that you get in the Sid Meier's Civ game and making it into a relatively compact and playable board game. Basically, each each civilization and you've got all the classics you've got you know the greeks and the romans and the japanese and the chinese and a variety of others in different expansions you each start out in a corner of the board effectively with a bunch of unknown tiles between them as you send your troops out to explore they find new areas which might have places you can found new cities they might have little goody huts little natives that you can exploit and take the resources they might have barbarians you have to fight and there are just like in the computer game multiple ways to win you can score a technological victory if you're the first person to build up your tech tree to the point where it gets to uh, space flight, I think is the final tech. There is a military victory, which is the one place where I think the game falls down a little bit. Yeah. Which is really weird because I actually kind of dig the combat system in the game. Yeah, the, the combat system is actually really cool. The problem with it is that basically if one player ever captures any other player's capital... That's it. Oh, just one. Just one. Yeah. yeah, one capital. So it doesn't matter if you're going for military victory or, you know, whatever else. You need to have a certain amount of military free. And if you ever happen to overextend and not have enough guys and you have an opponent with a strong military and good mobility, they can just swoop in and end the game. Now, I will say that I think that that could potentially lend to social contracts being made within the game because, like, hey, if it's the three of us playing and I see that Brian is coming for my capital, I could turn to Joe and say, hey, Joe, if you don't help me stop Brian, he's going to win. That's, I think, what is expected to happen. I'm not a big fan of where you can win by gotcha. 
Sure. And this is kind of a gotcha. Oh, by the way, I have flight, so these armies over here can all move to your capital and attack at this turn. Yeah, it's a real conundrum, because at the same time, that does solve the whole player elimination problem. Sure. Just like, somebody's been Game eliminated. Over. Game's over. Done. Yep, exactly. There are a couple expansions that add some interesting twists and that kind of thing. I really like the way they do the tech tree. Oh, with the pyramid? Yeah, Yeah. Exactly. yeah. You have to have two lower level techs beneath each higher level tech, so you're sort of building up from a bunch of broad stuff. And the, the civilizations themselves are unique and different. Each has a different spin. I mean, if you have a game with the Germans in it, they are almost certainly going to have a military onslaught, so you need to be careful of them. Did they ever make an attempt to model the hyper-aggressive Gandhi <laughs> from the video game? <laughs> no. Do you know, the, you know the story behind that, right? I know there was a mistake in, in one of the bits of programming Yeah, so, so what happened was in the early versions of Sid Meier's Civ, every civilization had their aggressiveness rating and Gandhi's was set to the lowest possible because he's a pacifist and then there are certain things that like will adjust that setting and basically if you're at the lowest level and something happens to reduce your aggressiveness it rolls it wraps around <laughs> to the top of the list so and then Oops. Gandhi would say my words are packed by the power of nuclear weapons and everything would be over unsigned ints are great fun <laughs> and in the next edition it's like well we know what happened and we could fix that but everybody seems to be a real fan of crazy psycho Gandhi, so we're going to leave him in. <laughs> I think this has been my favorite implementation of Civ, and I think there's now four or five of them. The, they just few, came out with a new one. There's Civilization New Dawn that shares some DNA. By, it's by Fantasy Flight as well. It unfortunately doesn't have Explore, so we can't talk about it. But it's a better, faster game. We can game. talk about it. Isn't this the one you said on didn't have combat in it? It has combat. It doesn't have units. Units. There's no armies. Yeah. You just expand your cities and attack each other from your locations of cities. I didn't like that one as much. The New Dawn? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I seem to recall both of you guys were not particularly fans of it. And Frank, you seem to really like it. Oh, it's a personal favorite. Yeah. Maybe uh, I need to go to back and death. try it. Like, <laughs> So we were at PAX Unplugged and I got a demo of it. And it just like, it did not fire on any cylinder for me. Wow. Okay. I love it. But maybe that was just the demo version. Played it six or seven times. And that's rare for me. It's also like 90 minutes-ish. I am a little sad that we don't get Sid Meier's Civilization to the yeah. table more often. But again, we are all adults with lives. Yep. So. And while the game itself isn't that long, it is something that unless you play it regularly, you kind of have to go back and relearn the rules as you go. There's a lot of little fiddly bits. I like the multiple victory conditions. It's got culture, tech, economic, and military. Yeah, would play again. I also really like the aesthetics of this one. It has, I think, the appropriate amount of, like, cartoon to photorealism. So one thing about Sid Meier's Civilization is it used a square grid. You never see a square grid, so we pretty much have to get away from that and go back to our normal hex grid. Right. We should probably talk about a hex game that some people have heard of called Eclipse, a little game published by Lautapelletti.fi, which I think is a Bjork song, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and designed by Toko Taukalio. My finish is not very good, obviously. And this is a big, sprawling, giant space 4X game with a really complicated tech tree. I mean, the tech tree has 40 things on it. So yeah, Eclipse has a big, giant tech tree. Ships moving around. A big thing in the middle that you get a lot of points for taking and hold, having at the end of the game going for the twilight imperium sure I'm, I'm getting that vibe but it also has a, a really tricky economy that's somewhat simple and obvious as you're playing it 
there are cubes just piled on your grid so much that if you like bump the board it'll screw up the game and as you put those on the board representing your colonists and your spread and everything they suddenly open up options as well as how much you have to pay to keep things on the board your action economy and your entire thing is driven by that i mean it looks interesting in that sort of big epic scale it's just unfortunately i'm at the stage in my life where i only have room for so many big epic games especially when I need to spend a lot of time learning each one. It's actually not that epic. And as you go through and teach it, once you get the idea of the actions, it's pretty straightforward. It's Hmm. one of the more clever. The weird thing about Eclipse is you get most of your points for controlling and owning things at the end of the game. You also, when you place a tile, tiles have space lanes on them. And if there aren't space lanes connecting two tiles, you can't go between them. So very unlike the, uh, you know, Twilight Imperium, where you can kind of go anywhere. Here, you can definitely not go unless you get the tech that lets you basically teleport and cross those empty voids. The old Star Saga or Forbidden Stars, Space Walls. Space Walls, (laughs) yes, totally Space Walls. But then, at least the games I've played, what tends to happen because of all this is people are kind of building, walling off the right areas, choosing their tiles, trying to get explore, trying to get through the neutral units because there are neutral units to take. The last turn, knives come out. (laughs) It's a complete bloodbath. So it's like multiplayer solitaire until the end. Yeah, but you have to watch what people are doing and planning. Yeah, There's a kind of a constant back and forth of you're kind of slowly expanding, making sure you have control of all your territory. But at the very end, it's a mad rush to get as many points as possible and throw all your stuff at people. I think that is probably one of my least favorite aspects of games. I just, I cannot tolerate a game that's, you know, we're moving along at a clip and then the last turn comes around and I'm just going to sit here for 45 minutes mathing out how to get the maximum points out of my play. There's just something about that that does not jive with me. It's actually not that bad because you have to plan for several turns for the final turn, but it helps to be aware of it. So that first game's a total wash and an experienced player will just crush everyone at the table. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's left a bit of a bad taste in a few people's mouths. I haven't actually played this particular one, but I did kickstart the new version of it because it sounded promising and it is a well-regarded game, um, the original uh, version that we're talking about now. The new version, other than just nicer components, like you mentioned that you can board wipe by accident by hitting your character sheet. They've got like inserts and stuff now that should help with that. And it sounds like they've tried to streamline the rules, although it doesn't sound like they necessarily needed that much streamlining based on what you're saying. I mean, there are a lot of them. There's a lot of detail, but it's pretty straightforward, surprisingly. Yeah, one thing you do in the game that's kind of awesome is your ships. You actually build your ships, so you add upgrades to individual ship classes. I mean, it's an obsession on tech trees that's kind of cool, <laughs> and I, that's what it appeals to me. Do love a good tech tree. I love a good tech tree, yeah. Mike was joking earlier about how he was surprised that uh, Sid Meier's Civilization and Rune Wars came out at the same year. You know, I would be not surprised if someone told me that Eclipse and Hegemonic came out in the same year, because they have a very similar mouthfeel, let's say, uh, between... Do you not like that? No, no, no. I'm, no I, it's, it's fine. I like it. I just would never have occurred to me to use that phrase. Joe, stop eating the board game pieces. <laughs> They're so delicious. They have a very similar mouthfeel from a gameplay standpoint, right? They're both 4X games, right? They both have a hex space system. You have ships. It's all about controlling area. Hegemonic was released in 2013 by Minion Games, designed by Oliver Kiley. Hegemonic is a little slower than Eclipse, right? So you're kind of more carefully kind of building out your area control. 
in Eclipse, you're pulling off cubes off of various tracks to gain abilities. Hegemonic, you have a different symbol for each track, and you can only put out those symbols when you discover a star system that lets you put them out, right? So you might flip the star system over and, oh, I can put two triangles on this thing and a square on this thing and a circle on this thing, and one of those is military, one of those is economic, and one of those is trade. The games feel very similar, right? It's very much about controlling space. It's very much about getting points over time, accumulating points for controlling areas. From the way you're describing it, it sounds like this one is a lot less like I have a plan. I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. It's kind of more like I'm going to explore and see what I get and do the best I can with that. Because if you're saying, all right, well, I really want to do a military strategy, but I'm not finding many hexes that well, have so you, that on Well, so you it. have a lot of control, actually, a surprising amount of control over the hexes that come out, right? So you can take actions which cause you to if i remember correctly it's you get to see some of the hexes that are coming up and maybe reorder them if i remember correctly so are you saying that in hegemonic we build space yes you build space oh that's it, deep you, yeah you shape the galaxy as opposed to having the choices dictated by total chance there's still chance right because it's like hey what are the tiles that are coming up but you have some control over the things that are coming up so kind of add to your strategy you might not always get the thing that you want, but still. So is it sort of around the same time frame as Eclipse? Yeah, it's about the same playtime, ultimately. It has about the same level of complexity, I'd say. So they're sort of filling the same niche in yeah, your yeah, game yeah. library. They're, they're extremely similar, right? Like, I own both of them. Then that's the, from a point in my life where I'm like, I love 4X games, but I don't have that kind of time in my life anymore <laughs> for those kind of games. I think it's a little less good than Eclipse. Okay, I was going to ask which one you would a, keep think, in your collection. I think if it's you a were. little less good than Eclipse. I think Eclipse does things that are a little bit more clever. Okay. Um, whereas Hegemonic yeah. is a little bit more straightforward in a lot of ways. Not in a bad way, but just like it's not innovative, I guess, in a lot of ways. It's just sort of polishing existing stuff and yeah, not innovating so much. Right. The next one we have is kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum from these. It is called Impulse. It was released in 2013 by Osmati Games designed by Carl Chudik. Now, Carl Chudik is the guy who developed Innovation, which is one of my favorite games. And Glory to Rome. Glory to Rome, also excellent. And all of his games revolve around cards that serve multiple purposes at once. So Impulse was his take on the 4X game. And like most of his games, it's really all around the cards. The map is built of cards. You have cards in your hand. The cards will go on your tableau to become resources. They will become technologies. And I really like the idea behind that. It does some really cool things like when you explore, the cards are laid out in kind of like a hexboard format. When you move ships to one that hasn't been revealed, rather than just flipping that over and seeing what it is, you take that card into your hand and you put a card from your hand face up in that space. Because much like in Hegemonic, you are building space. Exactly. Each card has a color and a value from one to three and an action. And there's... I think 10 different action types in the game, which basically are functionally just moving cards around or moving points around. It's very abstract. The only thing that really makes it a space game is you have these little spaceship markers <laughs> that move your fleets around. It's a little too abstract for me, and the way the cards all interact, while clever, is just a little bit too... Baffling. Uh, it's a little hard to get your brain around. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, if I wasn't trying to make this a cleaner podcast, I would say it's a little bit masturbatory. Because you're really just kind of moving cards around and doing things that do things and doing things that do things. And Well, the problem is, like, at least when we were playing it, the challenge I was having is every card I have, I have to evaluate in four to five different ways. How do I want to use this card? Card. Am I going to use it as a resource? Am I going to use it as an order? Am I going to use it as my separate secondary order thing that's only for me? Do I want to use this as a location I'm exploring? I'm like, good grief, that's a lot. 
And if you put it on the plan, everyone else after me is going to get to do it exactly. as well. And yeah. Carl's favorite game that he's ever made of mine and Brian's is Innovation. And it's like Innovation has some amount of like, hey, each card can be used in multiple ways, right? It can be used to score points. It can be used to achieve. It can be used to a couple different things. But like, I think one of the things this game is missing when I compare it to Innovation is Innovation, all the cards feel really different. And in this game, all the cards feel really the same. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of variation, but there's not a lot of variation, right? Like the things they can do is a very, very small subset. And I think that's because of the format of the game doesn't let it be more expressive yeah it's a very widespread decision tree for functionally a very small number of actual outcomes right whereas like one of the things i love about innovation is you can draw a card innovation you get the railroad and you're like well holy garbage this thing will change my entire strategy for the next three turns and that's awesome yeah this game doesn't really have moments like that and that's is my favorite part of innovation is innovation is functionally like a cooperative puzzle that you're going through whereas this game feels a lot less like that a lot more like glory to rome which has i feel like the same problem which is that like all the cards are very samey like they're they have some differences but they're not a lot it's not as expansive as innovation it's a lot more narrow since we're comparing this to innovation my big problem with impulse is that the cards are not self-explanatory i can look at any given card in innovation and it will say exactly what that card does i look at a card in impulse and i'm just like wait a minute what does this do again in innovation you've got basically four keywords it's like draw meld tuck and splay and a reasonably competent gamer can memorize those four pretty quickly with this you've got 10 different keywords and they're all similar but not quite the same well but also a lot of them i felt like just did nothing Mm -hmm. like there's one that's trade which is discard this card from your hand to draw a card from the deck i'm like cool but i thought you got victory points you you get points for that oh cool i got points for that like again nowhere on that card was that indicated so it was just something that i would have to know and like sure there is a bit of the more you play it the more you memorize it but it just felt like 10 actions was too much i agree yep and there's two expansions which i can't imagine (laughs) adding to the game (laughs) the one thing that impulse does that i think is very cool and you kind of alluded to it earlier each turn you play a card onto the impulse then you play all the cards that are on the impulse and you get rid of one so basically each turn you're playing an action that will help you but that all the other players are also going to get to take on their turns i do like that i feel like there's something cool that could be built around that i don't think impulse is it yeah i would really like to see that implemented into a game that i think highlights that a little bit more Mm -hmm. because i did not really get that from this game and part of the problem was also just the card size like i sat on the far side of the impulse track and i'm just like okay cool somebody tell me what i get to do now yeah there's a green one and a red one and yeah they made the art the biggest aspect of the cards when it's not super important now i'm a fan of aesthetics and that artwork i love it i like that art style it's got like a very cell shaded aspect to it it's great um the captain is dead a little bit yeah yeah now what i will say is this was functionally the second edition it was a kickstarter reprint And I get the impression that Carl and Asmati were not as involved with this. And I think there were some decisions that were made that probably wouldn't have been if if he was running it. Mm -hmm. It's still conceptually a very cool game. It just doesn't quite land for me. 
the game was basically the same. I mean, really, in terms of graphic design, it's the only changes. And don't get me wrong. Like, I like, functionally, I've liked at least aspects of all of Carl's games, right? Like, I love Innovation. It's one of my favorite games. Um, And like, but all his other games are clever. And this game is definitely clever. I think maybe it's a little too clever. Yeah, maybe. I bought a game called Hyperborea off of a game sale because it looked really cool and I didn't have any bag builders at the time. The game came out in 2014 from Asterian Press from Andrea Chiravesio and Perluca Zizi. Sure. You're playing one of, uh, I think it's six different kingdoms that are now gaining access to Hyperborea, which is like this ancient land that up until recently was shielded behind a magical wall. And it's a 4X game, so you're doing all the Xs. You're exploring the locations of uh, ruins to find treasure tokens. You're expanding your control to those locations to get the, the benefits of those treasures and the actions that the cities on those locations can do. And exploiting, getting those benefits, and exterminating, killing other people's units. So I'll never forget. So I didn't play this game with you guys, but I do remember our game wrapped up so I wandered over to your table as you were doing uh, in the middle of a round and Brian was deep was in the rule book he was unfortunately and, the one who had to do uh, it <laughs> you guys are, I think we're doing like end game scoring and then Brian said and so then you count the number of ghosts <laughs> and you all look up at each other and say what are ghosts is, is that a thing that was in this game <laughs> yeah and so that's how I feel about this game that's my only view of this game is that walking up to you guys doing end game scoring and you discover a mechanic because you were learning the game while you were playing, which is obviously a bad idea for any for, game. For a big, complicated game, yeah, you don't but, want to just pick it up. But it was hilarious because I watched you guys discover a mechanic <laughs> during endgame scoring that you didn't know about. And I was like, that's that's perfect. That's that's just beautiful. It's a perfect microcosm of this game. Ghosts are like the neutral units, right? Yeah, they they're are, the ones yeah. They're that, in the that, in theory, are out there making your life difficult to Water explore. ghosts. We didn't, we didn't have that. Yeah, nope. Totally overlooked them. Oh, that would suck. <laughs> No, actually, it was really easy. It's been yeah. very, very accommodating, some would say. There is not a lot to attack in that game. Yeah, no, I, I haven't played the game since, and, and you know, I would certainly be starting from scratch if I played it again, because I didn't actually play the game the first time. So as a person who as a person who makes sure to study a game before playing it, <laughs> yeah. uh, not just walking into it, yeah, I've played it a few times and rather enjoyed it. I'm partial to bag builders, and I like really fast, predictive things, and partial to 4x games the only thing i have an issue with it is that i think some of the starting powers are a little unbalanced i could i could see that i yeah. also felt like not just the starting powers and some, some of the techs the technology some of the yeah. Techs yeah. were just like oh okay well cool you're just going to be winning this portion of the game now mm-hmm. until another broken tech comes out yeah it is certainly very swingy i really like the way they do the the six kind of colors of technology yeah, totally. that you're able to do it it's a really interesting the way that all evolves i just don't feel like i have a good sense of the game because i we missed a fairly crucial thing yeah a little bit in preparation for the, our discussion here i watched a video on how to play it and we we didn't do it that badly like the ghosts are neutral units in the ruins you would just have to defeat them before you get the treasure in the ruin that's that's literally sure, about right it. They but they sl- do they slow, slow you down. things down yeah and they're worth victory points at the end to compensate for that. But, like, I enjoyed it. I would definitely play it again. I like the bag-building aspect of it. Since the game has come out, apparently some players have discovered through a combination of technologies that there's a way to break the game horribly. <laughs> sure. By doing partial resets. So, like, in the game, you're putting out cubes onto things to do activate technologies or upgrade your empire. And there's a point where you have to reset and pull everything off the board and put it back in the bag. Well... Apparently through some combination of things, you could basically just have like a perpetual reset where you're just like putting stuff out, activating it, and it goes right back in the bag. So there's never a point where you're drawing and don't have enough cubes to get all the things that you need. So to compensate for that, the game creators are like, in the rule book, 
the fourth paragraph on the section about resetting, ignore that paragraph. And like some people are like, oh, cool, this stops this thing that was broken. And other people are like, this fundamentally changes the game. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, which one do you do? One of the sort of holy grails of game design for a long time has been a really good empire building game that doesn't take all day. And there have been a number of attempts to do it over the years uh, through the ages was an early good one, not really a 4X, but got the empire building. And the one we want to talk about now is one that I think succeeds at being a short but still sufficiently deep 4X game, which is The Golden Ages. It was released in 2014 from Quined Games by Luigi Farini. It is based on Earth or an Earth-like planet. You know, you've got various recognizable civilizations, you know, the Japanese and the Assyrians and the Greeks, whoever. And basically, you were starting out on a mostly water board. There's a few places of land that you start out on. Basically, each era, you sort of expand the available landmass, you move your people around, you gain some resources, you investigate technologies, you build wonders. It's got all of the sort of classic Civilization 4X kind of stuff, but it moves pretty quickly along. The sort of tile-based board does give a pretty good feeling of discovering the landscape as you go. It's also really interesting because with the tiles on the board, you can reconstruct a pretty good map of Earth. We did it, too. Yeah, you did. Took a couple tries, but we got it there. And it's neat because it's got a little bit of almost a um, history of the world vibe. Because at the end of each age, there are four ages in the game functionally, and you start off with four civilizations, each of which has a special power. And at the end of each age, like we finish age one, you flip over your leader for age two, and you can decide, do I want to use that new power or do I want to keep being who I am? This game was adorable. I mean, it, it really was a cute little civilization, empire builder, 4X game. Like, it, everything about this game was just adorable. Yeah, you can really get a lot of the whole travel through the tech tree up to the present day without committing a, a huge amount of time to it. Some of the tech tree jumps were also hilarious. <laughs> like, sure. Yeah. We went from biplanes to rocket jets. None of the middle stuff really matters that <laughs> nope, much anyway. Not even a little bit. But atypically, it also has a, a odd way of dealing with the aggression war. You can only attack people three or four times during the game, and it costs you just a lot of money. You basically just pay it and say, oh, you're dead. Yeah, basically you can do four wars, and each one costs you more than the one before. So it's not like warmongering can be your primary strategy. But there are times when they really need that resource. And, and you do get has... points for each of the wars you mm -hmm. inflict on people. But it's not that bad. I mean, losing a guy... It's also got a hint of a worker placement -y thing in that you've got actions that don't require workers and actions that require you to basically use up your guys, workers, colonists, whatever. So it's got a hint of that, except that the, those guys are on the board. They're moving around. They're, you know, people. And so it really gives a better sense than whatever's going on in a worker placement game. Another thing that I really like about it is the fact that everybody has the same number of workers. And like Frank said, there are some actions you want to take that require those workers and some that don't. And so you're not going to always have the same number of actions as everyone else. So when you say, all right, I'm done, I'm not taking more actions this turn, you have quote unquote entered a golden age, and now you're just getting money every time it would be your turn but isn't. So if you've finished doing all your stuff early, admittedly, you're still just sitting there while everyone else is taking your turns, but you're, you're getting a benefit from it. And money and resources are tight. Oh, man. Yeah. I actually really like that mechanic because it both incentivizes doing the early pass but also it makes it not that painful like i think that's a good mechanic oh yeah yeah and the end game scoring is neat each game there's five or six different end game goals that you can draw and see what you're kind of building towards and get your individual civilization goals so it's very euro -y. 
but it's a fast-playing Euro 4X with no player elimination that I quite like. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so uh, m- moving... <laughs> Something less Euro-y this time, perhaps? Yeah, yeah, well, let's let's leave uh, ancient history and go to the future, right? Is it Star Trek Ascendancy. Oh, a 4X game in space? Yeah, isn't weird, that... How weird, weird. right? Released in 2016 by Gale Force 9, designed by Aaron Dill, John Kovaleski, and Sean Swigart. What kind of makes this one stand out for me is the exploration of it is really very clever. Just like a lot of the other games, you start in your own home system... But whenever you go to impulse power and move your ship or go to warp speed, you can discover new systems. And you do that by flipping over a system disk. On that system, it could have a phenomenon on it where you could research it and get some research points. It could have a hazard on it like, hey, we just went next to a black hole. Whoops, maybe we don't want to leave warp there. Or if it's one that doesn't you know, already have something there or if it hasn't been explored already, you can get an exploration card. And this is really where the theming really shines, right? You could literally flip over a card and it could be Q. <laughs> and Q could just screw with you. Like we literally had a game like second round, someone flipped over the Q card and he threw this person's ship to a completely random system out in the middle of nowhere. It's like, bye, have fun. You're now exploring this quadrant of the galaxy. But the way these system disks work is once you've left warp or moved along this space lane, you connect the systems via these little cardboard lanes that range from like size two to size four, and you connect the two systems that way. So now those two systems are, you're able to traverse them. Well, until that newly discovered system is attached to another system, it's considered a floating system. And so you can move it around the existing system, like your home system, for example, and you can reposition it wherever you want. And so it makes a lot of strategy in the game of repositioning these systems when you're exploring to another system. This is really hard to describe <laughs> instead of showing people. It uses an aspect of miniature gaming in which physical space on the table comes into play. Is as you explore, you are physically putting each of the discs that contain the system at a two inch, three inch, or four inch distance from each other. Once two are connected, they can rotate freely around each other until a third system joins them, at which point they are now locked into that position, which means that each player is building their map until the player's maps become connected. And what you end up with is this very spiderweb-like map that you have built over the course of the game and it does some really interesting things with actual space so you're building space you are once again building space and yeah so and, and that can lead to a lot of interesting decisions because in the game you have the ability to create trade routes but you can only do that with civilizations that you've had first contact with which means that you're you have connecting systems to each of them so part of it's like maybe i don't want to meet up with anybody but you're incentivized to make trade agreement with them so I'm assuming this is in the canonical Star Trek universe. Is this like in the past where the like we're first making contact with the Klingons and so the Romulans and stuff? It's really it's hard to tell. Yes. Yeah. It's really hard to tell because the ship designs that you're using are definitely next gen era. Sure. But like if this is the, the early era of exploration where like, well, the Earth system just discovered Kronos, <laughs> like that's that, that seems seems like it might be a little earlier than we expect. <laughs> well, mechanically, I really like the way that this map kind of actualizes. I'll never forget one of the early times that we were playing this game. I was playing a real like defensive, I'm gonna turtle and nothing's gonna touch me. And then Jason created a back door to my planet. And I was like, the fuck? <laughs> Which I really kind of like from the sense that, you know, you're exploring space and we're doing all of our exploration in this direction. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's this empire. Oh, oh, oh and they have a planet there. 
right next door. Oh, that's that's a problem. Well, and <laughs> so each system can have a predetermined number of lanes coming off of it. And because I was turtling, I was not fully exploring all of the things. So there were openings. So yep. there were openings that other people took advantage of. I like that. Yeah, and it's cool because like, the way they handle movement, like you can move at impulse speed, which is super, super slow, which is thematically appropriate, or you can go to warp. And so like you put a ship in warp, you take it off the map and you put it to the side, you're like, he's at warp now. And then every turn you can put another warp token there or you can spend a command to add more. And for every warp token on there, they can jump a system. So I'm like, I've got a fleet over here. They're at warp. I wonder where they're going. <laughs> adding more warp tokens. Adding more warp tokens. Five turns later, <laughs> they can go five spaces from where they were. Hi, Mike. I'm in your home system. Oh, good. <laughs> There's an older game called 4000 AD that doesn't have exploration uh, that's completely diceless. Basically, the bigger fleet completely annihilates the smaller fleet. Oh, It's wow. combined with that kind of warp system movement. Oh, jeez. Oh, no. <laughs> Rude. Oh, that's a just that's brutally nerve-wracking. Yes, it is. <laughs> That game sounds, I'm, I'm interested in trying this game out. I, I would, yeah. Like, yeah, we Same need to play show. It's, it's really fun. How many does it support? Uh, well, one per species that released. So it came with three. 700 well, now? So, <laughs> yeah, well, so it came with Federation, the Klingons, and the Romulans. Then they expanded with the Cardassians and the Ferengi. And the Andorians and the Vulcans are getting released later, which I'm like, aren't they part of the Federation? But whatever. But what I really like, and you guys like tech trees, so you'll appreciate this. Each faction has their own special abilities. They have a good thing and a bad thing. So like, for example, the Federation, I think they get extra research or something. I can't remember what their benefit is. Their bad thing is they can't do planetary invasions. But like the Klingons, you know, they love fighting, but they can't retreat from battle. Like That makes sense. But they also have their own unique individual tech decks. And so, like, the Federation is all about, like, technology on warp fields so they can warp further and faster. I think they also have a bunch of the social technologies they where do. they're just better at, like... So when you find a new planet, you can either dominate it or just kind of Make bring friends? them into your collective? Yes. Yeah, you, you uh, basically propaganda them into joining you. <laughs> seems appropriate. Yeah, the systems themselves have... The exploration cards might have a, an existing culture there already. And some of them, you know, it tells you how hard they are to fight and all that stuff. But each of the systems have their own resources on them, production, culture, and research. And so the way you win the game is you either take over two enemies' home systems or you achieve ascendancy, which is what it's named uh. after. So you're basically farming this culture token, and you I think it's five tokens make an ascendancy token. I think the yes. first person to three or five. Because you're creating little cheese wheels. You are, yes. But the best thing is, like, since it's all very, very thematic, if you're playing the Ferengi, the Ferengi literally can't generate culture, but they can buy it with production. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I so like it. they have cute little things like that in there. Um, but it's super fun. Like, I, I really like it. Because you're flipping over random system discs, you can get, like, I literally had three discs in a row that were all hazards. It just, my ship went to explore, explodes. Ship goes to explore, explodes. Ship goes to explore, explodes. It's like... Oh, okay. Well, I'm just going to hide in my home system for a bit. And then they um, they finally released the Borg expansion, which oh. thankfully is not a human playable faction. <laughs> but uh, I played it at Gen Con right before it came out, and I was playing the Klingons, and it was this, the Klingon Borg War, because the Borg spawned right outside my home oh, system. Oh, dear. It's just Klingons oh. like, for Kronos! <laughs> just, like, just throwing ships at them. And like the Borgs are really cool because when you attack them, for every round that they don't get destroyed, they, they start healing. So it's like you want to take them out as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. But once you destroyed them, you can farm them for Borg technology. So you can get their technology cards. It's, it's a really fun game. Unfortunately, they keep delaying releasing the new factions. Andorians and Vulcans were supposed to be out like a year ago. 
Who knows when it's showing up now? It sounds like it certainly feels true to the Star Trek oh, yeah, universe. Definitely. Uh, it also sounds like it's kind of random, but that's yeah. okay. Yeah. I mean, you could definitely have things go very poorly for you. Oh, yeah. No, the random generation of things can just totally bone you. And is there player elimination? or? Uh, yeah, like, I've only seen it where people got their home systems taken out, like, in that, that victory. The thing is, as long as you have space stations, you can still build ships, so you're not eliminated, but, like... It, you're it not gonna possible. win. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're... You are eliminated, but also you're still playing this but game. But you were forced yeah. to keep yep. playing. Yeah. Oh, man. There is that risk. Luckily, by the time that you are eliminated in this game, you're not going to be sitting out that long because they're, they're probably the ready to take somebody else. Yeah. 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 Usually at that point, it's someone's trying to take out a second home system <sighs> after they've destroyed you. <laughs> One game that we had on our list kind of on and off and went back and forth about the discussions of is Scythe, which is a very popular 2016 release by Jamie Stegmeier and Stonemeyer Games. You've probably seen pictures of it if you haven't played it. It's a very sort of steampunky alternate 1920s worker placement with a thin veneer of combat on top of it. I want to call it a unique game. It's got a lot of bits from a lot of, of other different systems. We originally weren't going to put it on there because the board is fixed. There are sort of discovery tokens, the encounter cards you go on, which kind of fills out the discovery. But actually, just before we recorded this episode, Stonemeyer announced that they are doing a modular board for Scythe, which is going to make it a much more fully customizable experience. And it's my favorite. Your favorite what? 4X game. Oh, if, okay. if, if we count it as a 4X. Which yeah, no, we are. Yeah, okay. that's totally. cool. It's really kind of an interesting engine buildy thing. There's kind of a tech tree. Yeah, yeah. I'd you're say sort so. of you're unlocking new abilities, functions for your different powers. Yeah, especially if you make it to the middle and get the uh, extra action. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. that's true. That's true. But yeah, I, I really like the way each board has uh, different pairings of actions that you can take. You can't take the same action two turns in a row, and each thing is unlocking other things and. Uh, for a game as notionally complex as it is, it's fairly easy to teach new players because once you explain to them how the board works, mm-hmm. this symbol means this, you reveal this by removing this token, you get this ability. Like Once they see that and they rock like, oh, this is what these icons are telling me, it's very easy to understand. Okay, these are just options for me. I just pick one of these and I can do the top option, the bottom option. It is certainly easy to understand the mechanics. I would argue that it is not easy to do well the oh, first no. couple games no. because oh, yeah. it's like you need to get the right combination things in those early turns and unlock the right things for your victory conditions yeah and you have to be thinking several turns ahead uh, and plan out your moves i'm really looking forward to playing the legacy story version of i have that waiting on my shelf whenever people are ready to get that started because i'm in i'm looking forward to that as well the only other weird thing about scythe would be the way it handles extermination when you kill a unit it goes back right home start (laughs) yeah you get all the stuff and you take their hex. So it is a, a kind of weird game overall. Think of it this way. You kill a unit and then their son rises up to take <laughs> vengeance on her father's murder. And, and the, yeah, and the endless cycle of violence peasants. is perpetuated. And the mech son. <laughs> and the mech son. <laughs> I feel like, because I've been able to get this to people that don't necessarily like to play complex or long games. Mm-hmm. I think the art tricks people into playing it. Much like Root. I have more oh, yeah. people interested in playing Root that would never play a game as complex as that. It's got cartoon mice. It must be awesome. Exactly. They're like, oh, look at that cat. That's awesome. I'm going to play it. I'm like, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> we'll see how this goes. Yeah. <laughs> Why are there animal companions in this game? Art. 
Yeah. Yeah. Because the artist started with those. And uh, let's be real here. The art in this game is fabulous. Oh, it's fantastic. Jacob Rosalski is the artist. And basically, I feel like this game was built because Jamie Stegmeier saw some of these paintings. It was. Yeah, I need to do something with that. And interestingly, recently there was just announced a computer real-time strategy game based on his art as well. Huh. So it's not Scythe the computer game, but it's going to be a game that looks show. a lot like yeah. Scythe. But also I think Scythe is a computer game. It is, There yeah. is a computer game, which is fine. Pretty solid implementation. I'm trying to think if any Scythe does anything completely unusual, but it does so much unusual with its structure. It's yeah, kind of Euro-y. None of the things it does are really unique, but it's a blend of so much different stuff. Has there ever been a fourth game where your popularity mattered? <laughs> yes. True, yeah. Yeah, and that's actually one thing I really like. When you go in, like you say, you take out an opponent... Their battle mechs are sent home. Their civilians are wiped out, and you take a popularity penalty because you're killing civilians. Unless you're Poland, because Poland's total nonsense. No, I thought the civilians live, but they still go back home. But you uh, still take the popularity. Uh, maybe I don't remember. Which is another sign that we need to play it more frequently. Our last game would be, in fact, it just came out a couple weeks ago, is Downfall, published by Tasty Minstrel Games and designed by John DeClaire. A the guy who did Space Base, yeah. uh, Mystic Veil. I'm becoming fascinated with his games. And Downfall rewrites oh, so much. <laughs> I played it only once uh, a couple nights ago, and I, I'm i baffled. I mean, there's so much different in the game. It's just my mind is exploding. Uh, you've got a big giant hex map of uh, tiles. In fact, one of the flaws of the game is that there's a separate set of giant hex tiles, which you absolutely need to play the game. There's just way too much stuff on the board. But the basic game, you have six actions that are the typical move, explore, grow stuff, whatever, combat. And you start with a deck of cards having a certain distribution of those. You have a hand of four. You play one as your discard, hand the rest to your left. And everyone chooses it once and flips up their action, most of the time you can take your actions at the same time. Uh, Unless two people are moving, doing command actions, and there's a few cases where, and there's a number which determines if you have any issues with, you think there might be an issue. But that's it. I mean, the actions are going to be harvest, respawn, and kind of regrow your stuff so you get more stuff. Move. There is a war slash research which can give you new tech from your own deck, which this is the same for everyone. There's no no asymmetric at all. But that mechanism also means that because your discards go into your deck and you draw one card from your deck each time to supplement the cards that are handed to you, this means the cards you're using are going to be in your deck more. So you're gradually tailoring your deck over the course of the game with the stuff you keep playing will keep coming up in your deck. Right, but... Check me on this. So you're you're building cards in your deck that if you don't play them when you draw them are going to your neighbor. Correct. So it's not really your deck. It's just you have first shot at it. Right. You do have uh, two cards you can keep aside that you can kind of hold uh, to use for other times. But yeah. That's fascinating. Sounds, that sounds really interesting. So that's kind of nice. But then you get to the radiation. And this is setting up. Oh, so this is post-apocalypse. Okay. <laughs> totally post-apocalypse. Then you get to the radiation. Well, that ruins a lot of things. I'll tell so you. the other thing, there are also winter cards in your deck. There are three winter cards, so depending on the number of players. As, as in nuclear winter? Yep, totally. And uh, as those come up, you advance on this big giant track that runs the calendar for the game. The game ends when you move this counter through all the track. Whenever anyone draws a winter card, they just put it in their discard, draw a new card. That's it. It's just the clock. 
Sure. Mm. But the clock brings up when you have to feed your guys, when potential wars can happen, and most important, when radiation spreads. Gradually over the course of the game, the hexes are going to go away and you start next to a radiation spawning that'll gradually start to overtake and you can build radiation shielding up to a point and you can remove radiation, but it's going to take you over and you're going to have to move and keep migrating. So is that how they're incentivizing expansion and no turtling? Is that exactly. coming in behind you? And you may not have any, I started in a situation where I didn't have any food. So I started with enough food to feed my people the first time, but I was going to have to expand and explore and just find a place to grow food. One guy didn't have minerals and, you know, in order to make new buildings, he was going to need stone. So he was forced to explore. Could have made those buildings out of food. Eh, No, not so much in this game. It's also weird that you tend to grow and leap behind buildings. You move your guys ahead of the radiation that's Mm -hmm. pushing you to the middle and pushing you all together. Combat gives you points uh, for both the winner and the loser. Anytime you lose a person, you lose a point, which means that you don't want to spawn and build up a bunch of people because if you kill them, you're going to lose so many points. And they're worth two like points at the end of the game, but everything's so tight, so frustrating. You're focused on survival. It's weird. Yeah, I haven't heard anything like this. Sounds interesting. I would like to give it a try. Yeah, and totally rewrites a lot of the rule book. Since we don't really have honorable mentions, do we want to talk about our favorite? I've already said Scythe with a, with a strong second for Golden Ages. Even though it's euro which shouldn't be my thing, I love that game. <laughs> I think for me, Rune Wars, definitely. I think Rune Wars of my oh, things we talked about today is a favorite. I really like Rune Wars. I really dig it. Uh, it might be better in Golden Ages for me, too. Mm-hmm. The plot thickens. Oh, yeah, it is Rune Wars. Frank, do you want to go back and try again? Or? No, no, Scythe is still the one for me. Oh, yeah. So they're just vying for second. Vying yeah. for second, exactly. Yeah, this is tough for me. Advanced civilization, you can say it. No, it's, <laughs> it's, it's not on the list. It's not available from the dropdown. Megasu. That is a game I'm going to talk about at some point. That's a game we're going to play at some point with, oh, do you have with 11 of our friends? friends. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I'm really kind of torn. I do like Rune Wars a lot. I like Sid Meier's Civ a lot, but the Victory thing just... I think I'm going to have to go with Empire's Age of Discovery. Played a little bit of it for preparation for this episode, and I was just reminded of how much I like that game. Yeah, there was a time when we, we played that game like a for, a, for a couple of months pretty heavy. Yeah, I I think that one's going to have to take it for me, but it's it's real close between that and Sid Meier's Save and Rune Wars. Well, I'm a, I'm a sucker for a good th- thematic integration, so Star Trek Ascendancy is I'm, definitely mine. I'm shocked to hear you say the Star <laughs> Trek game was your winner. I want to try. I want to play that. I think. Yeah, yeah. No, no, we I definitely. Actually, I mean, that. I'm yeah. gonna split the difference between Joe and Jason. Like, I really like the flavor of Ascendancy, but like, Rune Wars is such a classic game. I just I can't leave it behind. Well, see, I haven't played it, so I don't have to worry about that. <laughs> we should fix that. Yeah, having read the instructions and your discussion about it, it sounds really really fun. I actually painted my set. It's <laughs> all those freaking minis. With that, obviously, there are probably some games we forgot about or that you think we should have discussed more or that we got things horribly wrong because we haven't played them in a long time. Oh, we missed lots of games. Yes. Pretty oh, sure yeah, we, we Struggle of Empires did. probably but counts, also... maybe, but yeah. As always, we would love to hear from you. We're starting to get some more discussion on our Facebook page, which is nice. We always like hearing from you. We always like those iTunes reviews. A couple of you out there who have done those for us already. Thank you. For the rest of you, get on it. Please. Whoa, now that was aggressive. <laughs> yeah, sorry. We need feedback and we need uh, responses on the poll, or I'm going to push for my roll and move episode. So, next time is going to be episode 12. So, we're 
probably just going to do another episode, but we might do something cool. Who knows? <laughs> Way to yeah, psych gonna, him up. We're, we're going to slow. We're going to slow play it. We're going to play it real casual. Find out next month when you tune in again to the Ascent of Board Games. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of The Ascent of Board Games, which is protected by the Creative Commons license. Opening and closing music is Evening Melodrama by Kevin MacLeod via Incompetech.com. Full details can be found at AscentofBoardGames.com. Please share, like, subscribe, review, and comment on this podcast. And thank you for listening. The dog counts as a two-handed cat.